here today. Thank you, Lord, that the roads are mostly clear. And I just pray that you bless mm. uh, the service, Lord. I pray that you bless our time together and the fellowship. I just pray that uh, everything we say, uh, do and think, Lord, will be for your honor and your glory. Amen. Please turn to hymn books to 320. Ring the bell. Stay standing with me. We're singing this 320. <laughs> So uh, that was it. It was the sickness. So 
it was uh, making it round. So uh, that will be the same time, 6 p.m. on the 9th of January, uh, same night regular ladies meeting would be. And then today, of course, I know uh, a lot of folks have contributed and signed up, uh, but next door we have our Christmas meal, so we've got a ham in the roaster and all the fixings that go along with it. So if you can, stick around, enjoy a great meal with us. Um, we'd love for you to do that. Um, the 21st, we have our candlelight service, so that's this Wednesday. So hopefully we have a good turnout that night. I've already heard of some visitors that may come along. Um, 6 p.m. that night, we have cookie decorating for anybody who would like to bring their kids along to do that. It's really for the kids. I mean, we're not going to tell any adults they can't decorate cookies, but um, it's really for the for the kids to come and have fun doing that. They really enjoyed it last year, so um, that'll be that night. The 25th, Christmas Day, just our morning service at 10.30 a.m. Um, because we know, well, a lot of times folks are busy on Christmas Day. So, uh, But it is still landing on a Sunday, so we want to still want to honor that. And then the 31st, of course, New Year's Eve party, uh, 6 p.m. Is that time we, we went with, 6 p.m.? Is that the early one? I'm just going to write it so I don't have to think about it every time. Um, so we'll have pizza, snacks, games, and then we'll have a good time of fellowship and fun that night. So all that is coming up. We also like to get a little something for everybody at Christmas time. So nothing nothing too crazy, but on the back shelf there, back table, is a basket with some Christmas ornaments. Some of them have John 316 on them and just um, some of those back there. So take one before you leave. And uh, you can use it if you want to, use it as a decoration, um, whatever you'd like to do. So that's what I have for announcements this morning. If I could have our ushers come on down. Caleb, can you pray for the offering, bud? Yes, sir. God, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Please bless the service, Lord. And thank you for, to, for coming to Earth, Lord, and dying for our sins, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Stand with me for one more hymn. Please turn your hymn books to 308, the first Noel. 308, we'll stand together, sing as loud as we can one more time before the preaching. 308. <laughs>
I think this morning will probably be uh, a little bit of a different Christmas message, but I have learned a lot studying it, and I know there's still a lot more for me to learn from what we're going to look at this morning, but uh, prayerfully we shed some light on some things. Let's go ahead and stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We'll read the Luke passage, we'll pray, be seated. And then we'll jump over to Isaiah after that. So Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, it says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we have this season, this time of year, set aside where so many people celebrate the birth of Christ, celebrate this holiday we call Christmas. And there are many traditions and practices and things that go around it, uh, Lord, and there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of opinions and myths and stories that also uh, go along with it. But Lord, I pray that uh, those who are here would remember the reason that we celebrate this season. It's to remember your coming. It's to remember your birth and all the blessings that we have as a result of that, the things we have to look forward to as a result of that. And I pray, Father, that this morning, as we look into your word and we consider some of the things that we're going to look at today, I pray that our time would be honoring to you. I pray it be glorifying to you. I pray that our study in your word would both be edifying and enlightening. I pray you'd use it to build us up in our faith, to help us to grow and to mature. And Lord, we just look to you to accomplish all these things this morning. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, uh, but flip over to Isaiah 9 with me, if you would. This is kind of our, our primary text, but we are going to look at it in light of that last phrase, that last statement that was made in Luke. All right, Isaiah 9, 
verses 6 and 7. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Familiar Christmas passage. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray. Uh, we already prayed. We won't pray again right now. I did that last week, didn't I? I prayed twice. Sorry, I, th I guess I need a lot of prayer this morning. <laughs> but what we're going to look at today is the significance of these two verses. And, uh, you know, we always read these at Christmas time. We've done Christmas plays here with kids in the past. And, you know, I think next year, if we continue to have, uh, you know, if things continue to go the way they're going, it'd be nice if we could get that going again and have the kids put on a production. And, uh, but I was thinking that this passage, while it's a familiar Christmas passage and it's one that we, we read and we quote this time of year, I believe the only part of this, these two verses that have been fulfilled or that were, were fulfilled on Christmas Day is the first part where it says, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. But the rest of that has yet to be fulfilled. Now, could we say, we might be saying it in the dark if it keeps going the way it's going, but uh, could we say that his name is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace? Yes, we could. Could we say the government shall be upon his shoulder, or the government is upon his shoulder? Well, he certainly controls or, or has the ability to control the government if he sees fit. But I think that what is going to take place in the future will more, more completely fulfill this. And if we consider the fact the book of Isaiah is a book really to and about Israel, uh, then we can say that they certainly have not referred to this child, this son, as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. He hasn't been received and honored and exalted in that way as of yet. So we're going to see a couple things here. One, the coming of Christ. We're going to see some of the things that have been fulfilled out of the Old Testament already. We're also going to see some things that are yet future to be fulfilled, that some of these prophecies in the Old Testament um, have yet still to be fulfilled. And maybe everyone realizes that, maybe some people don't, that uh, there are Old Testament prophecies that still have yet to be fulfilled. And some of the prophecies that were made about Christ in the Old Testament and His coming were only partially fulfilled. Why? Well, because He wasn't received as the Messiah, so some things have been put on hold uh, and will come to pass in the future, but some things are going to take place first, uh, but, so we're not there yet, but that time is coming. So, first, that statement, for unto us a child is born. What is the significance about this verse? So, well, if we flip over to Isaiah chapter 7, and verse number 14, another familiar Christmas verse, if you will. I say Christmas verse, it's a Bible verse, but we often quote it and reference it at Christmas time. It says, therefore the Lord, verse 14, in case I didn't say, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we see this uh, child, this coming uh, twice. So both prophecies, uh, 
part of that one we just read, the virgin being conceiving, virgin conceiving, obviously a miracle. That's happened one time throughout history, and one time only, and it's the only time it ever will happen. Then the fact that his name is Emmanuel, another prophecy that uh, was fulfilled, because if you remember over in Matthew, we'll look at it in a few moments, it states that. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So, there's our verse that tells us that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. So, if we look over in Matthew chapter 1, if we jump over to Matthew chapter number 1, Beginning in verse number 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, so she was a virgin, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. It means privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of Mary, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. That was Isaiah 7:14 and shall bring forth a son. That was Isaiah 7, 14, as well as chapter 9. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. That was Isaiah 7, 14, which being interpreted is God with us. Now we know what Emmanuel actually means. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him as his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem. So we see he was born in Bethlehem. That was Micah chapter 5. So we see the fulfillment of the prophecies from those three passages we just looked at. All fulfilled when Christ was born at his coming. Now, in Isaiah 7, 14 and in, in chapter 9, it said that a son is given. Or that he would be a son. There was another prophecy that was fulfilled in that passage. Mary didn't have a daughter. She had a son. That's what was prophesied, that's what was stated, and that's what took place. Um, 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and call, shall call his name Emmanuel. We just read in Matthew, that's God with us. We know a few things about Christ. We know he's the Son of God. Matthew chapter 8. Let's look at a few verses. So, what could it be, what could it mean that a son would be given? Whose son? The son of what? The son of who? He's born of a virgin, so he's not Joseph's son, technically. Well, he's the son of God, according to Matthew um, 8 and verse 29. It says, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? You know who 
was stating that. It was devils who possessed a man. So it was uh, demons or fallen angels, devils or fallen angels, they were saying and referring to him as the Son of God. And then over in Luke 19.10, if we look over there, Nineteen verse ten. It says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So he was born in human flesh. He bore the uh, he came as a man. He's the son of man. Not of a man, but of man. Uh, he is the son of Abraham and the son of David, the Bible says over in Matthew chapter number one. Matthew 1, verse 1, it says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You know, if he's the son of David, in other words, Mary has a lineage that goes back to King David. So she carries with her. We're not going to study that all out this morning. But she has that heritage. Well, interestingly, so did Joseph. If you go back, you could find it on his side as well. But we know Jesus wasn't the son of Joseph. But because of that heritage... The Bible refers to him as the son of David. And if he's the son of David, well, he's obviously also Abraham's seed as well. So he's the son of both of them, which had to be the case for him to be the Messiah. He had to bear the, the seed of David. He had, to have that, uh, he had to have that or else he couldn't be the Messiah. That was necessary. So yet another fulfilled prophecy. Then we see Mark chapter 6, verse number 3. He's the son of Mary. It says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and of Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So the people referred to him as the son of Mary. And lastly, I told you he was not, look over to Luke chapter number 3. I told you he was not technically Luke's, I'm sorry, not Luke's, Joseph's son. And we'll see that over in Luke chapter 23, uh, 3 verse 23. And then I'll, I'll give you a little break from flipping pages. Luke chapter 3, verse 23, it says, And Jesus himself to, began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. So people referred to him as the son of Joseph, even though he wasn't really, but he was supposed by those around that he was Joseph's son. Um, so I thought that was an interesting little tidbit that the Bible makes sure to make it clear that he was not Joseph's son. Um, but it was supposed that he was. That's how people referred to him. So we see that that verse, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, that carries with it a lot of weight. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the son of Mary. He's the son of, uh, well, the supposed son of Joseph. Uh, he's the son of David and Abraham. So, I mean, that carries with it a lot of connotations. He fulfills that in numerous places. Um, so... If you want to turn back to Isaiah 9, you can, but you can take a break. I told you I was going to give you a break. 
Uh, I'm just going fast, so I'm not even paying attention. Just flipping pages. Isaiah 9, because we're going to... So verse 6 said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then it goes on and says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So I already told you earlier in the inter introduction, I kind of got ahead of myself, that some of those things, while we can look at that, and I think what has often happened is people have just looked at some of these things and and tried to claim that they were all fulfilled and that these things are all true and all the case, uh, I think there is still a fullness of these things being fulfilled that have yet to be fulfilled. And certainly in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David. He's not sat on the throne of David yet. That is to come, which for him to do that, he had to be the son of David. And upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So that clearly has not yet been fulfilled. So there is much yet that we are going to see take place in the future. And I find that exciting. I find that to be a joy to see those things and to find them in the scriptures and to see in different places how they come together and complete the picture and verify what each other say in different places. And it's just amazing to see Zechariah and Joel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and the, New, the Gospels and the New Testament all paint the same picture and be in, uh, in unison with one another. They don't disagree with one another. Sometimes they give us different pieces and then when we put them together, they complete the picture. And it is just amazing in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation, and just to see it all come together. And I'll be honest, I haven't got my little brain wrapped around all of it yet to where I can say I comfortably have a, a good handle on it all. But it's been coming together more clearly, and I'm seeing things I haven't seen before, and it has just been, it is a blessing. And, uh, you know, the psalmist David said back in Psalm 119, I think it's verse 18, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And that has just been my prayer. And when we go to God's word with that heart that we just want God to open our eyes, I find he does it. And he really helps us to see things. And uh, it's just fun, and it's a blessing, and it's amazing. But anyway, so... We know His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Things that are all true. And you and I as Christians would probably say that, yeah, He's been a counselor to me. I would call Him Wonderful. I know He's the Mighty God. I know He's the Everlasting Father, and I know He's the Prince of Peace because He's certainly given me peace in my life. But there is going to be a day when verse 7 is fulfilled that there will be peace on the whole earth. And he'll be known at that point on a worldwide level as the Prince of Peace because he will provide peace to all mankind. That day has yet to be fulfilled, which is one of the reasons I say I don't think that we've seen the fulfillment of all these things. Uh, so while his name is called those things, will be called those things, we're going to see it more fully completed in the future. So Ephesians 2.14, don't turn there because we're going to jump to a different passage here in a second. It says, for he is our peace. You and I's peace. Those who've trusted Him as our Savior, He is our peace. Without Him, there is no peace. In fact, 
I think it's in Ephesians, but it might be, might be Colossians. I think it's Colossians, where it says that he has made peace. No, I think it's Ephesians. He has made peace. It, it wouldn't exist apart from Christ. But the peace that we read about in Luke chapter 2, wasn't it, or 3? Luke chapter 2. At the end of that passage we read, where the angels say, uh, come on, I got it in my notes. I'm, I'm just all over the place on my notes here. Chapter 2, where it says, uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The reason I started there is because there is peace offered to mankind, but one day there will be peace to all who live on the earth. And I know that that is a cry of people all over the world. World peace, world peace, world peace. It would be nice, don't get me wrong. And we will have it someday. But it's not going to be until Christ sits on the throne in Jerusalem that we experience world peace. Um, so while I understand the desire that there'd be no fighting, there'd be no crime, there'd be no killing, there'd be no murder, there'd be no pride, there'd be no uh, kingdoms, if you will, on this world where men are trying to establish their kingdom and they'll step on whoever they can step on and, and destroy whatever they can destroy in order to advance themselves and their own kingdom. I understand it'd be nice if all that didn't exist, but the reality is right now sin is in the world. And as long as sin is in the world, those things are going to continue to be the case. But one day there will not be sin on the world when Christ is on the throne and he will rule and reign and maintain peace on this earth. Over in Zechariah, turn with me over to Zechariah, if you would. Zechariah, it's right towards the end of the Old Testament, if you aren't sure where. Zechariah is a bit of a doozy, but there's a lot of prophecy in regards to the second coming of Christ. So there's some neat stuff in there that I won't go in depth on it. Honestly, I'm still studying Zechariah and trying to wrap my brain around it all. But in Isaiah chapter 6, there's some neat stuff here. Verses 12 to 13. Zechariah. Sorry, yes, Zechariah chapter 6. Sorry. I thought I said that. I apologize. Zechariah chapter 6. And we'll probably hang out in Zechariah. I'll read some other verses, but to save you flipping so much, I'll, I'll keep you in Zechariah. Verses 12 to 13, it says, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Anybody know who that is? That is Christ. Uh, so, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Over in Jeremiah, don't turn there. I'm going to give you the reference, and I'll read it. 23.5 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, with a capital B, and a king, with a capital K, shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. So that branch is Jesus Christ. And there is a day where the branch will be raised up, and will be sitting on the throne. Now this passage in, in Zechariah 6, some of that was fulfilled. It said, and he shall grow up out of his place. 
Christ did that. He was born as an infant in Bethlehem. We read that a little while ago, and he has grown up. But him sitting on his throne, that still has yet to come to pass. Christ is going to fulfill all these prophecies and take his place as king. In Daniel 7.14, keep, keep your place in Zechariah, uh, it says, And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. That day is coming. I know I've said that, and I'm going to say it some more. That day is coming. But we have a time slot to fill. God has given us a, a dispensation, if you will, a period of time where he came, was rejected of his own, which the Bible prophesied would happen. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was crucified, buried, rose again to offer salvation for you and I. He ascended into heaven, sitting on the right hand of the throne of the Father, until the day when he comes and makes his enemies his footstool. That's what the Bible tells us. Until then, you and I have the privilege, the responsibility, if you will, to be ambassadors for that one that will one day come and establish his throne. And during that time, we need to do as we sung a little while ago and ring the bells of heaven that the world would know that the Messiah, that the Savior of the world, if you will, has come. So God has promised and planned these things to take place, and they will happen. Ezekiel 21, 27, I thought this was great. It says, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it. In case we didn't get it the first time, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it him. When he shall come whose right it is. No one on this earth has the right to rule this world, but he does. He has the right because he's worthy. Verse uh, number 7 of Isaiah, I'll read it to you again, and then we're going to look at Zechariah 9. Um, In Isaiah 9, verse 7, it says, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. That sounds a lot like some of the things we just read out of Daniel and Ezekiel. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. All right, so in Zechariah 9, in verse number 9, It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Does that sound familiar? That was fulfilled, wasn't it? When Christ made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem in Matthew 21. We know they received him. They laid down the the palm branches, and they worshipped him, uh, but he would shortly thereafter be rejected and crucified. Then in verses 10 and 11 of the same passage in Zechariah, it goes on. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. 
As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit, wherein is no water. So uh, the time's coming where he's going to speak peace to the heathen. Well, I guess you could say uh, we're heathens. We're, we're heathens, key word there. And we have peace, so he's done that. Uh, but his dominion, being from sea to shining sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, uh, he's still yet to establish that on the earth. Now understand, does Christ rule the world from heaven? Yeah, he does. So I'm not taken away from that at all, believe me. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Is King of kings and Lord of lords. But there is a time when he will physically rule on this earth and sit on the throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. That day is still future tense. If we jump ahead to Zechariah 14... Zechariah 14, verses 8 and 9. This is, to me, this is clearly speaking about the second coming, and here's why. Anytime we see the phrase, that day, that's what it's typically pointing to. Verse 8, it says, And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. Whew. Well, that kind of gives me goosebumps a little bit, just thinking about the day when he is on the throne as king over all the earth. And there shall be one Lord, and his name one. You know, oh, just amazing to think of what is to come still. I don't want to take away from what Christ has done. We can't. I mean, we wouldn't be here were it not for what he's done. We wouldn't be looking forward to these things we're talking about if it wasn't for what he's done. But boy, what a tremendous thought that we have yet to receive many of the blessings of what we have in Christ. We still have yet to receive much of what has been promised in Christ. Luke 2, 10 to 14, I think same passage. It is the same passage we read earlier. We're done in Zechariah. Uh, well, I'm going to read Zechariah 14 again later, but you can turn over to Luke. I'll just read it out of my notes. You can turn over to Luke chapter number 2, because I think we should see this one more time. You know, the time, of, the time of the millennium, the millennial reign when Christ is on the throne on this earth, that time is going to be a time of peace. It's going to be a time of rest. The Bible refers to it in Acts chapter 3. I don't know if I've put it in here, but we could turn there in a moment. A time of restitution of all things. That day is coming. Uh, it's going to be a great time. And during that time, Christ will be king. He will fulfill that name in its entirety as the Prince of Peace, because not only will there be peace for man, but there will be peace on this earth, because he'll be ruling and reigning. Where'd we go again? Luke chapter 2. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Verses 10 to 14. It says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It's available to all mankind. We can have peace. Was Christ coming? Does it provide goodwill to men? Absolutely. Because he didn't have to come. It wasn't a requirement. It wasn't, a, it wasn't something that God had to do, but that he chose to do to provide salvation for you and I. So that all these prophecies we've seen this morning about future fulfillment, you know, right before Christ actually sits on the throne, he's coming in judgment. And he's going to judge those who haven't received him. I'm thankful that, A, we'll already be with him when he comes in judgment. Those who've trusted him as their savior. But B, we don't have to fear his judgment. We understand that peace to all men is available. It's something that can be had. It's something that he offers. One day... All who remain on the earth after that judgment will have peace on the earth because he's going to establish it. Uh, I believe, so Acts chapter 3, if you jump over there with me. Acts chapter number 3. This goes along with that Zechariah 14 passage that I'll, I'll read here again in a second. Now I believe, and I've said this multiple times, at least on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. I don't know if I've said it on a Sunday morning, but I believe the theme of the Bible is Christ coming and setting up His throne. And we can see it, now, we can see it in most, if not every book of the Bible, we can see some reference to it. But in, Isaiah, uh, in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, it says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come, from the presence of the Lord. It's when Christ is here on His throne that it will be the time of refreshing. That's when the presence of the Lord is going to be here. Well, how do you know that? Well, verse 20, And He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. Well, who said that? Which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. The message of God's prophets since the beginning of the world has been there's a time of restitution coming. Well, when's that going to come? When Christ comes and establishes the time of restitution. Well, he came once, yes, but he's coming again. And the next time he comes, it's going to be different than the first time he comes. First time he came. First time he came, he came as a baby and was laid in a manger and, and was a humble servant offering salvation to the world. The next time he comes, he's coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's coming with a sword. And he's going to fight his way down to earth and he's going to destroy his enemies and he's going to establish his throne in Jerusalem. That's going to be a day. And you know what? We don't watch it from down here. We watch it from up there coming down with him. That's pretty profound. That's pretty amazing. Uh, that's going to be a day. Zechariah 14, 8 and 9, once again, it says, And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. 
Since the world began, it's been the message of God's prophets. It's been God's messenger's message, if you will. I pray everyone here knows Christ as their Savior. So, question, are you ready for the day? I mean, we won't be here. If you're ready for it, you won't be here for it, the day that Christ returns. But, hopefully you're ready for the day he raptures the church from off this earth. So that you don't have to be here during that seven-year tribulation period. You don't have to be here when he comes in judgment. You'll already be gone. That's going to be a day. I'd encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior this morning, today can be the day of salvation. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. We'll have a moment of prayer, and then we'll have a moment of invitation. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the, the Christmas message. And Lord, I, I know we took a little different approach today, looking at a lot of prophecies about your second coming. Uh, but Lord, we wouldn't have a second coming if there wasn't a first. We would just have one coming. And Lord, because you came the first time, salvation is available to all those here. Lord, we can have forgiveness for our sins. We can be saved from our sins and spared the consequences of our sins because of your first coming, your humble coming. The time you came and lived as a man, suffered as a man, lived a sinless, perfect life, could have been received as king, but you weren't. So you suffered a horrible death so that all those who are here on this earth, not just in this room, can have forgiveness of sins and be spared those judgments that are to come. Lord, I pray everyone here has received that salvation. But Lord, if not, I pray that it would get settled soon, maybe even today, Lord. Before we close the prayer, is there anyone here that would slip up their hand and just say, Pastor, I know I'm not saved. I know that my sins have not been forgiven because I personally have never trusted Jesus Christ as my own Savior. If you're here today and that's you, would you just slip up your hand? How about Christians? Maybe you'd say, I could do a better job of doing what that song we sang earlier said, ring the bells of heaven. Let the whole world know. Christ was born in Bethlehem many years ago. Why was he born? Well, he was born to die that we might live. He was born to provide a way of salvation for you and I. What a message that is. And we kind of saw it from a different angle today. But what a message that is that we have to enjoy the peace that we can have now, but one day there is even greater peace coming. We get to be here for it. For all of eternity, we get to enjoy the blessings of our salvation. I know I can do a better job of telling others about what Christ has done for me.
really what he's done for them too. Let's just take a couple moments. We'll give folks a couple minutes to pray and then I'll close us in a word of prayer. done praying, take your hymn books out and turn over to 310, hymn number 310. Let's stand together. We'll just sing, I think we'll sing one verse, <laughs> verse number one. was born just before break of morn as the stars in the sky were fading or the place where he lay fell a shadow cold and gray of a cross that would humble a king born to upon Calvary Jesus suffered my sin to forgive born to die upon Calvary he was wounded that I might live amen thank you for singing let's pray Heavenly Father thank you for today Thank you for every person that's here. Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus Christ.
that he came and that he died and that he rose again so that mankind could have a way of salvation, a way of knowing that one day we will get to spend eternity with you. And there's still many things to take place between now and then. But Lord, we can have peace during that time knowing that you're our Savior and one day we'll be with you. Father, I just thank you. Thank you for the so many promises that we have yet to enjoy, none of which we, we deserve. But you are gracious and you are merciful and you have been just that to each of us, gracious and merciful, and I thank you for that. I pray you'd, Lord, just help us not to take what you've done for us for granted, but Lord, help us to be faithful to you, to love you, because you loved us first. Lord, I pray you bless the rest of our day, bless the food to our bodies next door, bless the fellowship, and I pray that in all things you'd be honored, pleased, glorified, and magnified. We ask this all in Jesus' name.